genuine faith. Genuine faith, real faith. What does real faith, what does a genuine faith look like? How do we know we have the real thing? Well, the true test of our faith is what we do when trials come. The true test of genuine faith is what do you do with trials? How do you face your trials? You know, true faith we find in James chapter 1 is to remain steadfast under trials. Look at verse 12 with me. As we've been studying here in this first chapter of James, this is a letter that James wrote, and some believe this was the first book that was written of the New Testament. Interesting that this, if this was the first book that was written, first letter that was written that was, that was uh, inspired by God and moved, uh, moved, God moved in men to write the Word of God, and, and this, if this was the first book written, that went into the New Testament. Interesting that this first book would, would talk about trials first. And we come to verse 12, and look at what we find here. Verse 12 in James chapter 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, ladies, you're not left out here. You understand that, right? <laughs> when it says, blessed is the man, this is kind of a generic, okay? This is, blessed is the one, the man, the woman, the, the child. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. We know this is about all believers because when it goes on to say, which God has promised for those who love him, right? Which can be, Male or female. Genuine faith. Listen, this is so important for us today. Genuine faith is proved. It is discovered in the day-to-day -day facing of our trials. You want to know what genuine faith is? You want to know if you have a real faith? What do you do when trials come? It is discovered in the day-to-day -day facing of our trials and any trials that come our way and contrary to what some would tell us and contrary to what we would like to believe trials are not unnatural they are not unnatural they are not uncommon and they do not harm our spiritual growth in fact what James tells us here is that there are blessings for those who endure trials, strong in the faith. There are blessings for those who go through their trials. Now, we might be tempted to think that trials are unnatural to the Christian life, that they are uncommon to the Christian faith, and that they do great harm to our spiritual growth if we listen to some who would suggest that the life of a Christian should be one of ease. And there are actually preachers today, and you can find them often on the television, who will tell you that you should be far better off than you are if you would just believe. And life will be easy for you, and you will have whatever you want if you will just have faith. But that is not what God's Word teaches. And we see it here in James, don't we? When trials come, and they will, just the opposite is true. Blessed are those 
who face their trials and go through them with the Lord's help. It's not what James teaches. You know, when, when we hear in the, in the common culture of our day, when the, when the culture of our day says, become a believer in, in God's word and you'll have everything you ever hoped you'd want. And, and all your troubles will be behind you. That is not what James is telling us here, is it? No, in fact, James tells us that believers are to face various trials with joy, knowing that the testing of their faith produces a steadfastness of faith, a strengthening of faith, a strong faith, a genuine faith. And what James is teaching us at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is not just from James, remember this is God moving through James to pen these words for us, is not isolated to this letter alone. Listen to what Peter has to say about trials in the life of the believer. First Peter 1 and verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I, I read 1 Peter 1, and I read James 1, and I wonder, what in the world is going on here? What's with these two guys? Where do they live? Just so you know, they're in agreement here, right? Doesn't that sound a lot like what we've been hearing in James 1? It does, doesn't it? Guess what? They're in agreement because they are both being moved by the Holy Spirit to pen the same kinds of ideas for believers to take to the bank, okay, to live by. We need these truths, and we need to be encouraged and challenged by them if we're going to learn to face our trials with the faith that God's growing in us with the very trials we face. So we come to verse 12 here in James 1, and James is bringing to a conclusion these thoughts on how the believer is to face trials, how the believer is equipped to face trials, and what is to be the believer's attitude and the outlook in the face of trials. And as he concludes these thoughts here in verse 12, he begins with this, and it is a wonderful truth. I see this as a wonderful truth. A powerful truth. Verse 12 starts with the word blessed. Blessed. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. What does that mean? It means happy. Now, does that seem strange? Happy? Is the one who remains steadfast under trials? Blessed or happy, and, and we know that this is apart from one's circumstances, because obviously trials, by their very nature, do not bring joy, do they? I mean, what what's the last trial you had? Did it automatically make you happy? Absolutely not. It does the opposite for us in our, in our humanness, doesn't it? It makes us grumble and growl and complain. I know. I know. And my family knows I know. Because I grumble and I complain when trials come, right? We all naturally gravitate to go, oh, why is this happening? This can't be. Or you have got to be kidding me is what I normally say, right? My kids are like joking about that. You have got to be kidding me. I hear them saying, it's like, well, that sounds familiar. Oh, wait, that's what I say. 
We look at our trials and we say, you have got to be kidding me. Ain't nobody kidding. God says, I intend this for your good. Do not buck these problems, okay? Do not resist these problems. Look, you can have joy and peace and happiness and contentment if you will look at these problems with the right attitude. Blessed or happy is, apart from his or her circumstances, the believer who faces trials and remains steadfast in the faith or perseveres under or through trials. And this draws together very well the thought from verse 2, which James says, go back to verse 2 and look at it, where James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And we're going to see here that enduring through trials is the only way to have this kind of joy of which James speaks in verse 2. Enduring through trials is the only way to have this joy of which James speaks. Persevering, enduring through trials brings joy. Does that seem strange to you, or is it just me? (laughs) But this is how God works, isn't it? God works through our trials. And as we endure and persevere through them in the faith, being strengthened in our faith, God brings joy. God brings happiness. He blesses us. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. But how is it? The believer is blessed by persevering under trial. That doesn't make sense to us, does it? Well, we're going to see the answer to that question in a moment. How is it God blesses us as we face trials and go through them strong in the faith? We're going to see the answer to that in a moment. But first, I want you to note a couple of things. First of all, and maybe this seems like it's really obvious, and it is kind of obvious if you've been reading along with us and studying along with us in these first 12 verses of James, there will be trials. There will be trials. Okay, let's face it. Let's agree together. There will be trials, right? Again, we don't like that idea, do we? But it's clear here, and it's clear elsewhere in God's Word, that trials will come for followers of Christ. In fact, Jesus said it himself, in the world you will have tribulation or trials or troubles, right? John 16, 33. Peter says it, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 reminds believers that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So let's admit it, okay? And let's Let's embrace this truth and, and, and face it head on. Trials will come. <laughs> they will come. But what are these trials? What kinds of trials will they be? And for that answer, we need only look back to verse 2, right? Where James tells us that these trials will be of various kinds. All kinds of trials. In the original language, the word used in verse 2 for various kinds meant multicolored or great variety or diverse. All kinds of trials. And we say, oh, well, that's good because I wouldn't want too much of a good thing now, would we? (laughs) It's good that God gives various trials because sometimes I get tired of this trial and I'd want some other kind of trial to come along and replace that one, right? 
We don't say that, do we? <laughs> kind of like living in Michigan. If you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes, right? If you don't like the trial, just wait five minutes, right? We don't like that. No, no, no. Take this trial and don't bring me another one, Lord, please. <laughs> That's how we naturally feel, right? As humans who struggle with pain and suffering, and we see it around us, and we see it in our own lives. And James says, there will be trials of great variety that come. And God is here to help you prepare for them all. God is here to equip you and prepare you for all of them. Of varying kinds. And there will be many kinds of trials that Christians face, many and varied, even though we saw last week in verses 9 through 11, a more specific kind of trial, either the trial of poverty or the trial of wealth. And some of us would say, well, I'd very much like to be tried with too much wealth. That'd be okay. But really, having much wealth in itself can bring its own trials because for one who possesses much, it is so easy to lean on what you think you own than on the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? So there's this great temptation to, to lean on and depend upon our wealth. So there, is, there are great trials that come with wealth, and there are great trials that come with poverty, and, and that's kind of a more specific kind of trial. But generally, James is not pointing to specific kinds of trials here, and I think that's a good thing. He doesn't really point to too many ind- individual things because we would easily say, well, you, you know, looking around at others, you, you don't know my trials. But we all have trials, right? If we all took the time to share this morning, we all have trials we're facing, and we all know what it's like to face trials and go through trials. And James is saying... You are going to face various trials, and the Lord is equipping you for them all. He's preparing you for them all. And James speaks of all kinds of trials that believers face in life because God has an answer for them all and blessings for the believer who remains steadfast and faithful and faith-filled under trial. So that's a kind of a face it number one, right? We, we've got to face this. There's, there, there's going to be trials. There will be trials. But, but now you might ask, but, but how am I to remain steadfast under trials? What does that mean? Be steadfast under trial. And that's what James says, isn't it? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And here's what he means. He doesn't mean, or maybe I should talk about what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean we bypass the trials. <laughs> Blessed is the man who finds a way around his trials. <laughs> Over them, under them, around them. What's the word he uses here? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. It kind of reminds you of carrying a burden, doesn't it? And we groan, oh, burden, that's heavy. But listen, God is there to help you carry your burden. If you will trust him. And if you will strengthen your faith and believe in His Word, we don't get over, we don't go around, and we don't run from our trials and find blessing. We go through our trials. We bear up under our trials and find blessing. Now, we're going through our trials, and we must go through them. And when we face trials, the challenge is one of perseverance, isn't it? Because when we're facing trials, we want to give up. We want to quit. We want to turn back. We want this to end. 
But persevering under our trials or through our trials means refusing to run away from them. Why? Because God is using them, right? We go back and we back up a few verses in James 1, right? And we find that trials are to strengthen our faith. And we don't want to waste these trials that God brings. We don't want to waste what he allows in our life, do we? No, because he intends them for our good. And if we persevere through or under trials, we know there is blessing. Hebrews 12.1 says of believers, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, God has set a race before us, a life before us to live for his glory. And just like runners don't run a race by running away from the race, right? <laughs> how many how many people have you seen get to a foot race and the, and the firing gun fires and um, and a few people run the other direction? No, no, they all have one direction in mind, and to finish the race, they all have to run the same course, right? They have to run through the race, and believers must face and go through their trials. And for a good reason, as J.C. Ryle once said, trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, and to drive us to our knees. And that's remaining steadfast in trial. It's not that we don't feel the pain of our trials. It's not that we don't shed many tears in the midst of our trials. But we let the trials speak to us and send us back to God's word and send us to our knees in prayer and remove the affections of the world to capture our attention and take us from the truths of God's word. That is remaining steadfast in trial. Remaining steadfast means turning from the world and to God's word and turning to the Lord in trusting prayer, believing prayer, having faith. We've talked about this in James. James says when you face trials, ask God for wisdom, but ask with faith, believing, because no one will receive God's wisdom if he doesn't ask with faith. And it's in this way we face trials, and we best prove to ourselves and to others looking on that perseverance through trials is not only possible, you see, because there are others watching us, it's possible to get through our trials, persevering through them, it's possible, but it's also good for us as we allow God to change us and make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when trials come, we find out whether we really believe what we say we believe. We, we have opportunity to find out whether we really believe or whether we really have faith. Do we really believe God's promises? Do we really believe those, those promises we claim as our own? Do we believe them? We're going to find out whether we believe them when we face our trials, whether we persevere under them or whether we run from them. And those who persevere, says James, are blessed. They're the ones who are happy. That is so counterintuitive, isn't it? As human beings, we go, no, no, the happy ones who don't have troubles. The happy ones are the ones who have no problems at all. And they run from their problems or they, or they buy their way out of them, you know, because they, they've got a lot of wealth, right? No, no, no. No, God says the one who perseveres under trial is blessed, happy. 
They're the ones who can count it all joy when they face various trials, making joy their attitude of choice as they persevere with confidence, knowing that God is at work in them. You see, your trials can be a great encouragement if you understand that God is at work in you. How desperate we would be if we had no evidence of God's work in us. And so blessed is the man that remains steadfast under trial. And James doesn't say blessed is the one who is merely tried, who just merely has trials, does he? He doesn't say blessed is the one who is completely covered and buried with trouble. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say blessed is the one who has never tried either, does he? No, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial or through trials. And James doesn't say blessed is the one who's tried. He doesn't say blessed is the one who's covered or one who's never tried because there must be trials and we must persevere through them. And the one who has genuine faith stands the test and perseveres through trial. It's what James calls standing the test in verse 12. For when he has stood the test. Test. Oh, I hate that word. Test. I used to hate that word in school. Don't you hate test? Some of you love the word test, and I can't stand you for that. Right? You just love tests, right? You loved when tests come. You get good. You can prove that I can get an A plus plus plus. For when he has stood the test, do not rebel against God's test. Do not reject God's test. Embrace the test. Listen, this test you can know for sure. The ones in high school, maybe you didn't. I wasn't quite sure. Is this really for my good, or are you just trying to make me look foolish? Okay. <laughs> No, no, this test is for your good. So were those, okay, kids? Really, trust me. You know, don't adults say that, trust me. But God says, take this promise and live by this promise. This test is for your good. And the idea here is the same one we hear from Paul as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Listen, the one who stands the test of trials is one who is approved after testing. And we say, but can I just be approved of God without trials? (laughs) Can he know I'm here? I mean, doesn't he know I'm sincere? And just approve of me because he knows I'm sincere. No, because without trials, there's no test. And without the test, there's no approval. Maturity of faith in the Christian life does not come without trials. Life is a series of tests. It's much like what we hear Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 through 27, when he says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, believers, we, an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. What's he talking about? He's talking about being approved. When he stands the tests and he stands up under them and he remains faithful, and that is what we're called to as his children. We're called as God's children to remain faithful 
through the tests. We are called to face the tests that, that we face in life and doing so with discipline because God is very purposeful about what he is doing in each and every believer's life. And so we ought not waste the trials when they come because God intends them to mature our faith. I mean, think of it. What good father does not train and discipline and equip his children for life, right? Isn't that the point of being parents? We are given precious gifts to equip for life. And then we release them into God's hands and into the world, right? And then you've got to take your hands off and, and let God do his work in their hearts, right? And, and so that's a great a great privilege it is a great investment, and it's just a few years that whistle by. And God, God is the very best of fathers, is he not? Better than any father you or I know, and I've got a good father, but he's nothing compared to God. God is the best of fathers, and he is investing in your life, and he is equipping you to live Strengthened in your faith. Andrew Murray once wrote about persevering under trial. And he had the right attitude. He knew God was at work. God was at work in his trials. And so he came up with this, he said, as he wrote, first, about persevering under trial and having the right attitude in them. First, God brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place. In that fact, I will rest. God brought me here. Second, God will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Third, God will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Fourth, God in his good time can bring me out again, how and when he knows. So says Murray, let me say I am here, first, by God's appointment, second, in his keeping, third, under his training, and fourth, for his time. Can you say that about your trials? I'm here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, for his time. And that's the attitude each believer must have if we're going to learn to persevere under trial and stand the test. And knowing that God is training and knowing that God is equipping you, I would suggest will make a world of difference. Having faith, knowing the word and knowing God's promises and knowing that God is at work, and having that confidence will make all the difference as you face trials. says Hebrews 12, 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So back to this question we started with. How is it that the believer's life is blessed by persevering under trial? How is it that a believer, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, is blessed by persevering under trial? 
Well, we've already noted that this blessing leads to true joy in the face of trials, as James points to back in verse 2. But here in verse 12, there's something that's added. There's an added dimension to the blessing of the believer who perseveres under trial. Did you notice it in verse 12? Do you know that it's the, it's the crown of life? You see it? Look at verse 12 again. James writes, verse 12, When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You see, the one who stands the test receives the crown of life. Now, what is the crown of life? The idea here is that the one who perseveres in the midst of trials in this life will receive the crown of life as a reward in eternity. I mean, don't you look forward to being in heaven one day with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? In God's presence, it's been described, the crown of life has been described as the crown that consists of life. It's the reward of God to the faithful believer. Think of it. It's the reward that God gives to faithful believers who endure who stand the test of trials. And I want you to note this, too, that it is a gift of God. If you think you can earn this, you're wrong. It's a gift of God. It's not something you earn. You don't earn the crown of life as a reward for your perseverance. No, through faith in Christ, you are given by God the great gift of eternal life. In D. Edmund Hebert's commentary on James, he explains the crown of life this way. It is God's gracious reward to those who have rendered fit for that life by their approved character. The crown of life has also been described as a picture of eternal life that God promises to his people. Douglas Moo explains that the crown is the emblem of spiritual success given by the king of the universe to those who keep their faith in the midst of suffering and temptation. And so believers are called by God as his children, according to 1 Timothy 6.12, to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. It's a good fight because it's the one God gave you to fight. It's the one God helps you with. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. It's your eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. He earned it for you. It is a gift from God. Take hold of it. Fight the good fight of faith. And when you do, when you fight that good fight of faith, and when you persevere under trial, there is not only blessing, there is not only joy and happiness now in this life, but there is also eternal blessing, eternal reward. But I want you to note one more thing. We must note something very important here. Who... Note who the crown of life is for. Do you see that? Who is the crown of life for? Do you see it? In verse 12, the crown of life is for those who love God. The crown of life has been promised to those who love God. Who are those who love God? Well, those who love God are believers in Jesus Christ. You see, you could ask someone, do you love God? And they say, oh, yes, I love God. I know God exists. I love him. What about his son, Jesus Christ? Well, I don't need Jesus Christ. 
You know what God's word says? If you don't love Jesus, you don't love God. Who are those who love God? Those, those who love God are believers in Jesus Christ. Those who love God are those who have responded to God's love. Think of it. Those who love God are those who have responded to God's love toward them through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and have trusted in Him as Lord and Savior. As 1 John 4.19 reminds us, we love God because He first loved us. You see, God did not look at the people on earth and look at the people in the future on earth and say, that person and that person and those people and these people are going to love me, so I'm going to send my son. No, no, no. God looked on us wretched sinners, undeserving of any grace or mercy or faith, which, which he gives. And he said, I'm going to love them in spite of themselves. And I'm sending my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to prove it. Our faith and our love earn nothing. We love God because he first loved us. Stuart Townend, in his song which we sing, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, I think expresses powerfully the depths of God's love for us. We've sung these words before. He he writes in his song, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turned his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. See, those are the depths of God's love for you. Those are the depths of God's love for you. And if you know that truth and believe in God's Son, God's Word says about you, you love God. As we hear in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And God's Word tells us, Love the Lord Jesus Christ, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. All your strength. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And we ask ourselves today, and the question for you and for me today is, do I love God? And we don't earn salvation. We don't earn forgiveness of sins. We don't earn the crown of life. Those are gifts. But those gifts are for those who love God. And And the evidence of our love for God is our obedience. And part of that obedience shows as we stand the test of trials. We face trials and we go through our trials. So the question for you today is this. Do I love God? Am I content only in obedience to God? You know, you know what it is to be discontent, right? I know what it is to be discontent. I can sadly, honestly say, when I was most discontent, I was furthest from God. Are you unhappy with life? 
Are you discontent? I would suggest you ask yourself today, do I love God? And with that question should be, have I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have I given him my life? The question isn't, have I put everything behind me and am I a good person? The question is, do I trust in God? Do I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I taking God at his word who says, you are forgiven if you believe in my son? Am I content only in obedience to God? Or, maybe this is true of you, do I find only only seeking joy for myself is what I seek, only seeking contentment and, and peace and, and a trouble-free life and no trials whatsoever, do I find I'm only seeking joy and peace and contentment by running from my trials, seeking my own good, trying to find my own welfare in this life because this is the only one I get, seeing my trials as only bringing pain and trouble for me, is that the way you look at life? Or do I love God? And do I face the fact that as a follower of Christ, trials will come? I cannot run from them. I must not run from them. I must stand under them in with the test of my faith, remaining strong in the faith. Do I love God? Do I accept the trials? And do I face them knowing that God is working in them and through them to make me like his blessed son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I love God?